How about a toast to get this thing started? Let's go. There are tall ships and there are small ships and there are wooden ships. They sink. The best ship is a friendship. And to friendship, we shall drink. Salute. Salute. Thank you. Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in to Bourbon Podcast. I'm Ben, along with Joe and Kyle. We've got a great guest on today. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Freddie Johnson joined us uh, at a recent charity event. Uh, but before we do that, of course, it's a little news, a few reviews, and as always, a lot of booze. You know, we sat down with Freddie at uh, the Western New Blue Line Canine Association. Freddie was kind enough to come over and help out. When we announced that Freddie was coming to the event, how long did it take to sell out? We had uh, 240 tickets. How long do you think? A week. Yeah, about a week, two weeks, I don't know. Two hours. Wow. Is that right? It sold out in two hours. We actually added space uh, after that happened because so many people were calling and messaging on Facebook wanting tickets. So we added uh, space, and those sold out in uh, in just a couple more hours after that. Yeah. Sold out the event. Now, I mean, I would imagine, you know, Freddie is, is incredibly popular. You know, he's very charismatic. Everybody knows him. But we're four hours away from Louisville and Frankfurt. And he could sell out an event in two hours like that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and that, that event, I mean, we'll talk more about Freddie, but the, you know, to, to have Weller, Blanton's, and Eagle Rare, you know, six years ago, that wouldn't have been a big deal. Now, to have that for 200-some people to sip and taste and have Freddie talk everybody through, that was, it, was a, it was a very neat event, yeah, almost independent cool. of Freddie. Freddie's incredible, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, the event was a very great cool. event. Well, and healthy pours. I mean, uh, <laughs> they, all, all, all three. They scolded me. I said, I, I was like, I'll help pour because, you know, we were having trouble yeah. getting everything out. And I'm like, that's more than an ounce. I go, no, yeah. look, this is an ounce. I go, okay. Yeah, it was like, it was two or three ounces. <laughs> that's what per I thought. Yeah. Big. yeah, we'll talk about the event here in just a minute. Before we get to uh, Freddie's interview, hey, let's talk a little bit about the news. There's a lot going on, and we're going to touch on a few things. More trouble for Oregon officials. Um, some of the top liquor officials at the, the top liquor agency there had to resign because they were using their influence to get Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Were they, uh, were they selling it or were they just, well, they themselves? say that, uh, first of all, they paid for everything. There's no allegation that they got anything for free, but apparently they were using their influence with some local stores to hold them in the back for them. And they were paying MSRP and then either drinking them or giving them away as gifts. It's the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission, the executive director, Steve Marks. uh, He uh, noted in his resignation to the governor that he was uh, stepping down. Of course, he didn't admit that he did anything wrong, but he did resign. There is a criminal investigation, allegations that he and other senior officials used their positions to divert rare sought-after bourbons for personal use. How do you feel about that, Ben? Well, I, I think as a, you know, public officials, first of all, you know, the other guys had gotten in trouble, like in the ABC and I forget where that was, Virginia. Yeah. Virginia. Yeah. I thought I did. I, it's public information. I mean, they were, it's not like they were getting information. It's not like insider trading, you know, with stocks. It, they were using public information and then selling that public information, which people could have gotten it on their own, I assume. Mm-hmm. 
for whatever. I forget how much it was. Not much. Not much. <laughs> this Very this little. is a little different. When you're using yeah. an elected or an appointed position to... Right. You are a public servant. I mean, you just can't. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't, can't really do, do that. So anyway, he resigned. Um, I'm dying to know how much they got. <laughs> I mean, how many bottles did they get? Which one? Did they get the 23 and the 20? What were they getting? You got to figure Oregon's not too dissimilar from West Virginia in terms of the quantity of the sought after stuff they're getting. You know what I mean? I, like, it's not that much is my point. There's probably not that many bottles of Pappy 20 and Pappy 23 going to work. Right. Yeah. Like how, how many, how many Pappy 23s came into West Virginia? Joe, do you know? I think year. zero 23s came and uh, I don't think any 20s came. I think there were there like maybe three bottles of 15. Wow. I mean, it's a really Crazy. a very poor year. Yeah. At least was. in the Southern half of the state. But um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm more curious as to where the where did the bottles wind up yeah, after? Agreed. Because Apparently, in their one, liquor cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they were drinking them. Well, that's, I, I that's hope they good. weren't selling them. Yeah. It, because I'm, then that's that's a, that's right. That's yeah. a big They're problem. Premium, right. Anyway, we'll follow that story. See what happens. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail sets an attendance record again. So, 2022, over 2.1 million visitors. Uh, on the trail, visited local distilleries. That's up from about 1.7 million. You know, people for years, as Joe, you know, people keep going, what's the next bourbon? Like, there is no next bourbon. It's bourbon. (laughs) And that's not, I don't, you know, there was always like, oh, is it high-end rum? Is it cognac? Is it this, is that? Like, those things have all gotten more popular, high-end tequila, mezcal, but uh, bourbon is unique. And, it, you know, it'll probably cool off at some point, but man. Yeah, now that the, I mean, the trail, so when it launched in 2012, there, of course, there are 24 distillers on the trail now. The total attendance in 2012 was uh, 738,000. So just in the last 10 years, it's tripled. Tripled. Yeah. Pretty impressive. And think about how many pours, how many gallons, how many barrels that translates into for 2.1 people. Hotel rooms. Yeah, hotel rooms. Economic, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, that's, uh, it. you know, it's a big tourist attraction in Kentucky. So good for them. They're doing it right. I'm a little jealous. Although I've hit the trail a couple times, but I haven't done the whole thing. Have you? No. There's just too many. No. Yeah, I, I went, um, you know, interesting story. Like uh, after my first divorce in 2009, I did not like brown water. And it was a, it was nine guys that basically said, Okay, it's time to to get Joe into Kentucky, and they rented a whole uh, bed and breakfast um, out in Versailles, and the whole thing. And they had a restaurant in it, had a bar in it, um, and it was a holiday weekend, kind of like this holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, we did, you know, twelve distilleries, three days. There was everything stocked on the shelf at that time. Yeah. Everything, you know, pappy, whatever you wanted. But I started to get it. Like after three days, I was like, oh, I kind of get this. Like I, there was, it wasn't just the getting the choir and the taste for a brown water, but it was the, it's the whole culture, you know, the whole process, the people, the, you know, just being in that, uh, in that, that bed and breakfast, you know, with the rest, I mean, just taking it over for three days, you just felt like, okay, I get this. Like they, they really, and now they've turned this into like a machine uh, there for Kentucky. What a, for tourism. Amazing. Yeah. And by the way, each of those 2.1 million visitors spends on average 400 to $1,200 yeah. per trip. That's what I was going to say. People so, are, people are letting it out. I mean, that's why Justin's, which we had Justin on, right. has also been in the news some recently, but that's why they've, that's why it's such a brilliant business because people show up and it's like going to Vegas. You're yeah. like, I'm ready to spend money. Let me find something to spend it on. 
Did you get the latest Justin news clip? Uh, I am not putting that on here. Okay. <laughs> we're going to wait and see. You know what? You know what? I like those. Folks. I know. We're, fact, they're friends. Yeah, they are friends. I, I hate that that's going on. I, so yeah. I didn't include it in the news. but um, It seems we'll like that, that story is still developing. That is a developing story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here is, uh, this is kind of cool. So Willet doesn't do single barrels anymore. Barrel picks, is that right? You know, you see a few of those rise out there and some of the bourbons, but I, you know, they have that little tag in the back of their bottles and, uh, but I yep. haven't, um, I haven't seen one, like a, a, not in a while. Well, one. a very lucky cigar and bourbon lounge called Blend Bar by David Off announced that uh, it's partnering with Willet. He actually got a barrel, a 10 year barrel that's going to be released at his bars, Blend Bar in Indianapolis, Nashville, Pittsburgh, and the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, he went to Willet Distillery for two days to select the uh, 10-year barrel of uh, Willet. And that's, honestly, I have not seen, I haven't seen a, a recent uh, barrel pick by Willet. So no. the ones that I see are older, and typically see them on auction. Yeah, some of it is that the state of West Virginia, I don't think it's in the system. You know, the the, the right. bottles have to have to kind of be registered, That the brand. And so part of it is we're just not... Even if we wanted to go out and pick a barrel of Willet, there'd be no way to get it here right now until we get it, the paperwork done. But I wonder what here is like where if he's picking out four barrels in each of these states, they must be right. That the ability to kind of pick it out and then move it through each one of those states, various processes. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. But he's in four different states. So even if he couldn't get it into one, it could probably be in the other three. Joe, I'm sure you Or you get it all into one and drive it to the other. Oh, let's not go there. There you go. Um, I'm sure you had like 2016, I believe I was at Willet with some of my best friends from Colorado. They had, this will blow your mind, Ben. They had in a glass shelf and I bought a couple you could buy a 13-year single barrel, 15, oh 18. And, you know, they were expensive at the time, but they were like 200 bucks, 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, my one buddy bought a lot. Shout out to Jay, but um, another investment banker. But, you know, I had a couple and I drank them. I mean, they're yeah. unbelievable. But you you yeah. think back now and it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I have a – it's kind of – I was just looking back in my – you know, the bottles I have. And the um, – I have a 15-year single barrel bourbon at the house, uh, one, one of like uh, – 125 bottles that came off that um you know and willet was the first rye whiskey i really fell in love with right so i i started with their two-year 100 yeah. percent rye that they it's, it's their family estate and then three and now it's four and then occasionally you see like the five six seven some of those are single barrels actually but the older bottles like when you went um before i'm going to say like three maybe four years ago were all mgp rides all 95 five um and so they yeah they had like a four five six seven eight nine all the way i think even out to ten at one point on those those rides as they just got older and they were one of those early distilleries that were fortunate to get access to great barrels of mgp and and then release them you know over the years my buddy jay I i think he was the one who bought there was a super old one i don't remember if it was 17 or 18 that was like a 40 bottle barrel, a super yeah. short barrel. And mm-hmm. the question is, does he still have that? Or do, I don't know. I got to ask that question. Wow. Yeah. I've got that 15, Ben. It's sitting up there. Well, you know, I have, purple foil. I have one purple top. Yeah. I think it's an eight year. Mm-hmm. And then the Kiyomi is, did we decide, is it Kiyomichi or Kiyomishi? I don't know. Did we decide? <laughs> we decided, but I'd have four I, bourbons. I need, to, we I need to go back and listen. <laughs> that was a 19 year. 
Yeah, the 19 is the one I've been keeping an eye on. And I saw somebody, if you're going to love this, Ben, on the secondary, uh, asked for only $1,500 for oh, the bottle. Get he out goes, of here. He goes, I paid 1800 for yeah. it, but I'm, I'll take the, uh, 1500 now. And I just wasn't fast enough. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, you know yeah. what? we. Um, but I would, I would really like to have that A bottle. friend of mine was at Justin's in Louisville, and they had two and gave him a deal. Wow. Gave him yep. a deal. And and it was right at MSRP. Well, what's the, the one we had was an eight year. Eight year. We we did a five and an eight, right? Yeah. And then yeah, and the eight was so good. The eight was so good. I, I should have brought that too because you know you um, I have that the the yeah. second half of that bottle. That's great. I love that. Drink one. it was, at your house. Oh man, it's so good. Hey, in other news, actually this is not news. This is uh, just self promotion. <laughs> Bourbon <laughs> podcast. Number six on Apple yeah. in the United States in the hobbies category. What do you think about that? I mean, three idiots talking about bourbon. Here <laughs> three we are. idiots talking, drinking, and for some reason people are liking it. We appreciate it. Well, we've expanded. We're having a good time, and now we're raising money. Yeah, yeah. For people, for great causes. So. so trivia time, though. What is the number one state in the United States for bourbon podcasts? I know. I, I, sent, I sent out the stats. Come yeah, on. you sent. I, I mean, I would never have guessed. I wouldn't tell, tell the people. It's Texas, right? Texas. Thank you. Thanks, Texas. Thanks, exactly. everybody in Texas. Ten percent of all of our listeners come from Texas. Seven percent from California. Six percent Florida. Six percent Georgia. And rounding out the top five, North Carolina. Six percent. What do you think about that? Very, Again, the most populous states in the country. Well, but you would expect to see your listeners. West yeah. Virginia, you think? <laughs> yeah. 3%. Just, this means yeah. none of our friends and family actually listen. No. They, tell, <laughs> they tell us they listen. Like, no, that was great. No I, no, I grab my wife's phone and like download the episodes <laughs> just so we... No, it's... You know what? We, we appreciate everybody listening. Be sure to give us a review if you're... Particularly if you're listening on Apple, give us a review. Tell us what you think. Um, we need those reviews. And where those find us on Instagram Yeah, you can find Twitter. us on Instagram. Right. Twitter... Facebook, uh, Facebook's actually been picking up. We're up, we've gained a lot of followers on Facebook now. We've got about 30 or 40,000 total social media followers. Uh, it's primarily Instagram. We're about 18,000, yeah, 19,000 on Instagram and about 12,000 on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is slowly coming along. We're on TikTok. Yeah. If you want to see Joe dance, jump on there. TikTok <laughs> at bourbon podcast. Yeah. Right, dripping into 23. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we're well, not going to have Joe dance. And on Twitter, we, we uh, well, we've kind of linked the accounts on all things bourbon. We have, yeah. you know, in that case, there's uh, you know, 4,500 followers there. Um, that's kind of been interesting. And yeah. kind of kind of moving moving stuff back and forth with the bourbon. Yeah, always tag in, trying to get some uh, some social media boost off of uh, all things bourbon. We're really all What's your same. Twitter handle? It's not all things bourbon, something else. Bourbon Trends? Bourbon Trends. At Bourbon Trends. Trends. If you want to follow yeah. Joe, I'm not even drinking. Yeah, yet. we haven't had a sip. Yeah, and, and link over, right? But yeah, everybody, thank you for downloading our yep. episodes. We appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you give us a review on Apple. Make sure you're following us on social media because a lot of times we have polls on there to determine which bottles we're going to review, which yep. bottles we're going to open, uh, and we pay attention to those. And, and what, we we do that. We're dropping episodes on Thursdays now, pretty consistently. Thursdays, you're either going to get a, a full review with an interview, or you're going to get a proof positive. So the goal is every Thursday you will have a new bourbon podcast. How am I not following bourbon podcast? On you're not following us. I just kind of pulled it up on Facebook because I was trying to Great. figure out, you know. And part of that is that, um, well, you know, my Facebook so such a clean page that I have there. So yeah, yeah. Well, we pr th thank you, Joe, for following us yeah, on uh, on Facebook. Like it worked, Ben. Hey, everybody. Next up, the man, the myth, the legend. 
Freddie Johnson. We're joined today with uh, by Freddie Johnson, third generation Buffalo Trace employee. If you know anything about bourbon, whiskey, you know Freddie Johnson. Uh, Freddie is uh, the legendary storyteller. Freddie, thanks for joining us. Dan, <laughs> thank you so much for letting me be here today. Hey, before we get going, no pressure, no pressure. We're going to start with a pour, and we've got two single barrels for you. Which one would you want to start with? Well, you know, this whole history started with Taylor. So I think we better start with Taylor since he was kind of like the, the founding father that got everything going at Buffalo Trace Distillery. All right, so let's do a little pour. We'll, uh, we'll sip a little while we talk. You know, when we were, I'm dating myself now, you remember when we were kids, they used to call it breaking the seal? Yeah, that's and right. You take that bottle and you whack it on the bottle and the cracker would pop and you'd, you'd say, ah, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> so, and we have people now that are actually smelling the cork before they do a pour. Uh, there's another interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize. Let's show you some kind of fun thing. I like to do fun things. So if I've got a really good bourbon, um, traditionally with a good bottle of wine, you present it and you talk to folks about it. And then you kind of roll it over like this. And you talk about something on the back label and, and then you have to tell the story about how you acquired the bottle. You know, all of that stuff goes with a good bottle. But when a bartender does that, a lot of times you think you're getting, you get the presentation and you think you're getting a multiple pour because you see them and they'll just, they'll start it and maybe they'll chat a little bit and they'll talk to you a little bit more and they'll maybe top you off a little bit more. What they're actually very discreetly doing is they're actually rebalancing the solids in the bottle. It's kind of a cool thing. It's so that every pour from that bottle always tastes the same. We're gonna share with you if that's okay oh my that's even better <laughs> we've never done this without having bourbon you know it's bourbon podcast, you're kidding so we, <laughs> oh, okay. we wouldn't know how okay. to, we wouldn't know how to speak to you now now we certainly so, wouldn't have our ratings as high as they are without <laughs> yes. this bourbon. now bring that bottle back let me show All you right. something else that's kind of cool so we just did the other thing that people do with a really good bottle of bourbon what do you do you tell the story now a good bottle of wine you finish pouring everyone a drink and you set the cork beside the bottle and you continue to make eye contact with them. But just like what we did with this bottle, good bottle of Taylor Mission. <laughs> that cork back in and said, we're one and done with this one, buddy. All right, but let's continue to share. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a subtle thing that you can do with friends and family. Uh, you only bring out a good bottle with people you like. So make a memory with it. So you give everybody a pour and just put the cork beside the bottle and continue to chat with them. And it's just a subtle message that says, our time together is more important than the whiskey in the bottle. Yeah, I like that. Well, I would say with, with wine, the, the thing I love about bourbon is you don't have to finish the bottle. You can, yeah. but you can enjoy it another time with the same folks or somebody else. Where wine, kind of have to enjoy that bottle that time. That yeah. And a lot of people mistakenly think that leaving the cork out of a bottle will uh, actually uh, cause it to go bad. The volume of alcohol and the narrow uh, neck on here actually prevents a lot of evaporation. So the time that you would be sitting around sipping with someone and the cork's on the side doesn't seriously affect the, the whiskey. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this is not it. Very good. <clears throat> so, so Freddie, you remember, I, some of the, the things that I've read, you 
when you were age five, you were running around that distillery. Was that with your grandfather, your father, both? Both. And what's what's your earliest memory of being at Buffalo Trace? Um, I was actually fishing on the riverbank with my dad and my granddad, and the back then you could dump the grain out into the river when you would rinse your fermenters and your cookers out and the fish would come up in there and feed so you could actually catch some pretty good fish back there and so one evening I was bored fish weren't biting so I started our little pilgrimage and the dry house sits right on the bank of the river and they actually have a trap door that they leave open and a lot of times it's just to see where the river is in relationship to the uh, uh, lower part of the uh, dry house and I just started wandering around and went over there and I saw the ladder and I just climbed up the ladder and and I looked like a little groundhog sticking his head up out of the hole and one of the workers inside uh, saw me and he started laughing at me and he said you're Jimmy's boy aren't you and I said yeah and he said what are you doing I said well I was just trying to see what was up in here and he said well come on inside and I was fascinated with uh, we have it as part of our uh, hard hat tour now, uh, but you get to go a chance to go back and see these big giant tumble. They look like giant tumble dryers, and uh, just to see the the spent grain going in there and see how it comes out and it looks like uh, coffee grounds or brand cereal, and to smell of it, it's just I was fascinated with that whole process back in there, and that was my first encounter of the mechanical piece. The front end of the distillery where my dad and my granddad were, that was the warehouse section. So I used to go in there, I used to go in there and play. But I was I was just more fascinated with all the equipment. My background's engineering and chemistry and stuff. And so I was just fascinated with how did they come up with all this cool stuff? So yeah, that was that was when I was a kid. All right. And what how old were you when you had your first sip of whiskey? <laughs> I said I was five years old. You know, <laughs> you know, the, you know I, my, my, dad, uh, my dad and my granddad had a different view of, there's a lot of things going on in the world today. Um, but um, I used to sneak behind my dad and they used to have card parties and stuff like that and dinners and stuff. And they would sit around and have the drinks and then it was time to go in for the formal dinner and they'd have the glasses sitting around there and I'd say, hey, I wonder what this one is. And I'd take a little sip of that one. And uh, yeah, so that was my first encounter was just just with drinks that were kind of like they had left behind. And um, I remember, I guess my, I was just getting out of high school. My brother was already in college and my dad knew that our friends had started to drink a lot. And so my mom did not drink, but my dad said, uh, I want you guys to come with me downstairs and we're gonna have a drink together. And my mom really kind of didn't appreciate what he was doing and she said, I don't think you should be doing this. And he says, need to do it now because they've already been exposed to it. He said, I know the boys have been out drinking. And so what he did was he carried us down and he gave us two pours. And he says, okay, now here's the pour. He says, now in one of them, he says, I want you just to take it straight, take a swig of it. And we were like, ah, that's kind of strong. And so he said, okay, now I'm gonna take the other one. He says, you can have Coke, you can have Pepsi, you can have 7-Up. He said, but put some ice in the glass and, and uh, just kind of fix it up the way you want it. Take a swig of that one. 
one quite naturally. It's sweet, it's great, it's cold, and we take a big swig of that one. And we drank more of that one than we did of the other one. And he just looked at me, smiled, and he says, the reason I want you to do this is it's the same amount of alcohol in both. Yeah. He said, so when you're out with your friends and you're drinking, just because it's good and it's going down, he says, the damage is going to be the same once it gets in your system. So he says, I just, you always want you to be aware of that when you're drinking. It's, you know, what you mix it with doesn't matter. The alcohol concentration is the same. And he gave us a $20 bill. <laughs> and he said, and we were like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> and he says, I want you to put it in your wallet. And we were like, really? And he says, yep, put it in your wallet. And he says, and I want you to keep it there. And if at any time you're out with your friends and you're riding with them and you don't feel comfortable with how much they've consumed, he said, call a taxi. He says, get as close to home as you can. He says, I will always pay the rest of your way to get you home. He says, but I never want you to feel like you have to be anywhere with somebody depending upon them to get you home when you don't feel comfortable with the ride. Hmm. I kept it till I was about 35. And I remember one, this is no joke. I remember going to my wallet and I saw this crinkled up $20 bill in there. And I'm like, I got my own car now. <laughs> I, I can spend this 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, but in hindsight, I wish I'd saved it. But it was just like one of those mo moments where you realize the message uh, had endured. What did your dad do at Buffalo Trace? What was his job? My dad was a warehouse manager at Buffalo Trace, and so was my grandfather. So um, granddad had become the, um, the first manager of warehouses for a major distillery, and he was in charge of 250,000 barrels of whiskey on paper ledgers. It was crazy. Mm. And then my dad followed in his footsteps, and uh, he had hooked up with Elmer T. Lee, Elmer and Dad were in the Air Corps together. Dad was a civil engineer. He made landing strips on remote islands. Elmer was bombardier. Elmer's planes landed on Dad's landing strips during the war. In World War II. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so it was kind of crazy. And, it, you know, they say all kinds of things come out over a good pour of whiskey. And we were at uh, Mark Brown, our president and CEO, had what we used to call them stag dinners. And we were in there just sitting around laughing and talking and sipping. And something was mentioned about the war. And they started talking about where they had been during the war and what was going on. And that was when they realized Dad was making the landing strips that Elmer's planes were landing on during the war. So uh, bourbon creates memories. How did you, your grandfather and father both worked in the industry for Buffalo Trace. Was it something you wanted to do? You, you you didn't do that initially. You obviously do now, but you had a whole career before yeah. that. How did that all unfold? So the assumption was that I would follow in my dad's footsteps, and I would then be the third generation to work at Buffalo Trace. I had a brother who was older. Um, he was a Jimmy Johnson also, like my dad and my granddad, but my brother was a free spirit, and uh, dad says no I don't think we want to turn him loose he knew that that was a formula for disaster you know that was a bad business plan so um, so what happened was um, 
I had promised him he we were just messing around one day and he says well he said oh man he said um, would you just make me a promise that uh, at some point in your life would you work with me at Buffalo Trace Distillery so we can say we had three generations to work there and I was like yeah dad I said yeah I said I don't mind doing that he said okay and he said uh, and you know since you're thinking about doing that he says if anything ever happens to me would you promise me you would be my caregiver? And I'm thinking, well, okay, I can move him up here to where I am, and, you know, get him a little place, and you know, and he's got me hooked now. I say he's really baked me in. <laughs> and he says, and uh, he says, well, since you're going to be taking care of me, he said, uh, I just have a couple of things that I prefer. And I said, what's that? And he says, well, I would prefer uh, passing away in my own bed. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I can move the bed up here with him. <laughs> and I said, okay, Dad. I said, we can do that. And he says, well, since we're on the subject, he says, I do want to keep going to the church I've gone to all my life. <laughs> and I'm like, he did all that to say, I really want you to come back to Frankfurt now, you know. And so, Were you living in Atlanta at the time? I was uh, bouncing back and forth between Atlanta, and uh, I worked out of New York and New Jersey. It's kind of a crazy story. So when all of this started, um, the... Uh, the organization that I worked with, I was working with Bell Labs, and we were doing network configurations. And I did underground military sites, Air Force One. I had underground, I had a top secret security clearance. Um, so we were doing things on the network. So just like what you encounter uh, with uh, with K9 units, sometimes there are things going on that you don't want people to know about. And so we would have to do network configurations when there were disasters or something bad was going on we had ways of controlling the network so that people in those areas could call out to tell everyone that they were okay rather than the network being flooded with people trying to call in when there were only a limited number of lines. So that was the kind of stuff that I was working on and in the midst of doing this, it's called the STAR Network, in the midst of doing that, my dad calls me and tells me he's terminally ill. And so the company was allowing me to go, I could, I could travel between uh, if I had a meeting in New Jersey or New York or in Atlanta, I was not allowed to travel. I, I couldn't turn in travel for that. But if it was for, for anywhere else, I could route my traveling plans through that area and I could take care of my dad and be with him for his chemo treatments and stuff like that. So it was a pretty, it was a nice little arrangement. And uh, I got a chance, what happened was I got a chance to see what he was going through with his chemo treatments. Your parents never tell you how much they're suffering because they don't want to mess with your career because they're proud of it. And uh, one of my business trips got canceled and I said, Dad, I, I said, I get to spend the weekend with you. And he said, well, that's great, son, that's good. And that's when I saw the chemo was really kicking his butt, but he never shared it with me. So um, I said, I'm coming home. And I'll tell you, of all the gifts that were ever given my dad, just keeping a promise and coming home to him meant more to him than anything else I've ever given him. So that started that sequence of me working with him at the distillery. Uh, I was there helping him when he rolled out the six million barrel. And that was something he wanted to live long enough to do. The crazy part about all of this is we're out on the farm. Somebody comes by and they said, uh, have you seen what's going on up in New York? And we're like, no. They said, y'all need to go in and turn on TV. 
So we're going in, we turn on the TV, the planes are flying into the World Trade Center. And my dad and I have a meltdown. So what was going on was when I was in New York, my commute from New York into, from New Jersey into New York, New York is called the Path. Take it out of Hoboken, New Jersey, it goes underneath the Hudson River, terminates in the World Trade Center, and from there you catch your subway down to where you're going. Well, my commute into New York put me underneath the World Trade Center when the planes hit the building. Mm -hmm. So had I not kept a promise to my own father to take care of him, he in turn actually took care of me. So I'm alive today because of a promise. Mm -hmm. And I tell folks all the time, um, we do it at Buffalo Trace, they're called coulds and shoulds in life. And there are things that you could do, and there are things that you should do. And usually, and you, I mean, the unit that you guys are involved in, that's the coulds and shoulds. You know there are things that you could do, but sometimes something tells you what you should do, and those should do's probably have saved a lot of lives. Uh, Fred, we were here on the uh, the Blue Line Canine fundraiser dinner. I know a lot of what you do is uh, fundraising dinners and a lot of speaking events. You've become one of the most recognized faces and recognized names in the bourbon industry. What do you think your dad would say? You kept that promise and now anyone in the industry knows you. Well, and here I am with you guys. So I guess the one thing that my dad would probably say, son, don't screw up. <laughs> they know who you are. <laughs> so you're here with us. I'm like, yeah. no, sorry. Yeah. We're sorry for your love. <laughs> they already know who you are. So don't mess up. So, so how do you? Um, so when you're when you're at home and you pour yourself a glass, how do you drink it? Neat, ice. Oh man, it varies. Um, I try to get people to understand. Don't get caught up in drinking your bourbon one way. Uh, and it, a lot of times it just depends on my mood. Um, there's sometimes when you you just you just feel good and you just want to have something that's refreshing. And uh, I used to talk to Elmer T. Lee about it. Uh, Elmer's wife used to make me cookies when I was a kid. But I would I would uh, I would reflect on him, and a lot of times Elmer would have his bourbon with a Seven Up or ginger ale or something like that. And I'm thinking, here's a master distiller, and you think they always drink it like, and he, he's like, no. He said, sometimes you just want something that's a little bit light and refreshing. And so that's what I do is I'll mix them up. And I'll just have different mixers that I'll do with different bourbons. And it makes it easier when you talk to folks, like when you have groups like we're going to be spending time with, um, because it lets them know that they don't just have to drink it neat to appreciate what's in the bottle. The we started with a Colonel Taylor. Mm -hmm. You said it was the right thing to do, to pick this bottle. Is there a Buffalo Trace bourbon or product that you find is your favorite or your go-to after a long day? Oh gosh. So, a lot of people never understood Buffalo Trace. And um, when it came out, it's a small batch bourbon. It's a tremendous bourbon. It lends itself nicely to be enjoyed on the rocks. You can drink it neat. Uh, you can mix it with things. So it's one of those that it's a good all around. That's why it's the flagship bourbon. It wins a lot of awards. <clears throat> so that's just like if I want to come in and have a, have, a quick, have a quick bourbon, I'll do it with my Buffalo Trace. If I'm sitting around and I want to sip, I'm going to go to Eagle Rare. Oh. Okay. 
if I'm uh, wanting something that's a little bit fruity and sweet, I'm going to go with Weller. So my two favorite, besides the flagship of our Trace, is my 10-year-old Eagle Rare and my Weller 12. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm just a happy camper. <laughs> so if you look at the Weller lineup, do you prefer the 12 over the others, the CYPB, the single barrel, oh, yeah. uh, the 107? Oh, yeah. 12 is, a lot of people say that. What, what do you think it is about the 12 that makes it preferable? Even though some of the others, I mean, on the secondary market, that's a whole other conversation. But on the secondary market, CYPB and the single barrel go for more. But if you look at the 12 and talk to the, the folks in the industry, they seem to prefer it. Okay. So CYPB is like, it was like a unicorn. And um, it's, it was, it started off as an experiment, and it was craft your, craft your perfect bourbon is what, it's, what CYPB stands for. Um, but it's a weeded bourbon that came from the top floors of the warehouse for like about eight years up there, and it has a lot of heat in it. Um, that's not my preferred way of enjoying weeded bourbons. So, you know, I mean, everybody has their choice. But you talk to a lot of people that get them, they get them, but they don't drink them. That's yeah, right. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah, that's yeah. the problem. So, so I I get them to enjoy, and uh, I want something that if I share it with someone, they can also enjoy and appreciate what it is. So the cool part about <clears throat> when you start talking nine years and older, you're now down in the lower part of the warehouse. Uh, the temperature is a lot cooler, and it's more its influence is greater by the barometric pressure, the weather than it is on temperature fluctuations. So you get, it's like marinating a piece of meat. So you get um, a smoother transition through the char. It lingers beyond the char for an extended period of time. And it gives the alcohol molecules a chance to break down the sugars and the saps and rosins in the fibers of the wood, but you're doing it without heat. So that's why I use the, the, the example of a, of a good marinated piece of meat is you can cut into it and no matter how you cut it, you still get these subtle flavors that, that linger nicely. So bourbons that run, usually your bourbons that run nine to about 12 years old, that to me is, is, is kind of like the sweet spot in a barrel and the flavors that you're going to get out. And you start, you start getting above that, the tannins start to kick in a little bit. You start getting more of the oaky dominance in the char. And your and, and Ben's interview with uh, Jillian Van Winkle, you know his preferred Van Winkle uh, or Pappy product was the 15 year, which is essentially right the 12 year Weller that grows up to be a 15 year. So it's I find that interesting because that's really right the balance that that 12 year seems yeah. to be 15 year depending on your. You're right, right, Joe. You're right on. Yeah. So think about this. So. Weller 12 and Lot B. At one point, when people found out Weller 12 and Lot B were both pretty much the same, that became known as the poor man's pappy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, not anymore. You know, <laughs> you're paying almost as much for the Weller 12 as you are for the Lot B now. Um, but that, when you hear of an age statement on a bottle, that is the youngest barrel that we use. Yeah. So that 12 to 15 window. Is uh, it's pretty much the sweet spot for doing that, and at 15 years, uh, you know, like when you spend time with Julian, he'll tell you you can take that 15, and just do 
just with an eyedropper, just do a drop or two of water into it, and it takes that, it opens it up to another level. So that's why, like, we'll, we'll play around a little bit with water tonight, mm -hmm. and uh, I like to do that because it helps people to appreciate what's really going on in that barrel. And uh, a lot of people miss, and they've been missing a lot of cool flavors that when you talk to master blenders and folks like that, that's when they play around with cutting it to different proofs. And with just a little bit of dilution, you open up an entirely different profile of products. You mentioned that the CYPB, a lot of people get it and put it away. Same thing for the single barrel Weller. Um, you've been vocal about people sharing their bourbons yeah. and their whiskeys. And, and I, I know you've, I think on the, yeah. the uh, uh, Neat, the documentary you talked about, you know, when, when you had that bottle of 20 year Pappy and, and you didn't want to open it or somebody didn't want to open it. And then I think recently you talked about it. another one. Yeah, what, what's your thought on, I mean, you know, the whiskey industry, the, the secondary market has, I mean, there are whiskey investors. There are people that don't drink bourbon that buy it, put it in a safe and wait. Mm -hmm. What's your thought? What are they waiting for? <laughs> um, when I do behind the scenes tours, or if I do the expansion tour, um, I, uh, I don't give a can tour. And I'll just walk around with people. And I said, I just want you to walk around and just look beyond the obvious. It's obvious that it's an old distillery, but there are over a million barrels of whiskey at that distillery. So it be, an awareness starts to sink in when they see the old buildings. They're full of warehouses. They've been full of warehouses since 1800, some of them. It becomes obvious there's always going to be more whiskey. Um, Probably one of the coolest compliments that I ever got was I did this tour with this guy. Um, he had flown up from Tennessee with a bunch of his buddies. And uh, he was bragging about how many products that he had. And he was telling, telling me about all these, we've got, it's called the vault. And he was talking about all these different products that he had and stuff. And, and uh, at one point, Kyle, I looked at him and I just said, wow, I said, you seem to have a rather large collection of aged spirits. And he just came right back at me. I've got one of the largest in my area. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes, sometimes, being words come to your mouth, you don't even know where they came from. I've been there. All right. And sometimes you wish you could take them back when they're out there, right? And just out of nowhere, I said, wow, I said, I'm just curious, how many of them have you shared with your friends here? That guy looked through me. He didn't look at me. He looked, I mean, it was like, oh boy, you have gone in the wrong lane now, you know? And he just looked, and his wife smiled at me and winked. And his buddies just kind of gave me that look, and I'm like, oh crap. And so I said, sir, I said, I don't mean to be disrespectful to you. I said, but you thought enough of them to fly them up here on your private jet. I said, and to show them around the distillery. And I said, but I learned through my dad that you actually create a better relationship with folks when you have something that you prize and you share it because they really know how much it means to you. He never, he, now, he never spoke to me anymore, all right? So Joe never said anything to me the rest of the tour but he had this weird look in his face. Just, he just, he, he just, and I'm like, 
what have I done here? About three months later, I get one of the nicest letters back from this guy. Now, at the time, I didn't know it was him. So I'm upstairs, and somebody says, Freddie, there's a letter down here for you. And I'm like, oh, really? And I, they said, yeah. And they said, uh, they said, you want to bring us up? And I said, well, who's it from? Well, they said this guy's name, and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I had thought that what he had done was he had CC'd me on a letter that he had written to Mark Brown, our president, about I had crossed the line with, with what I'd said to him. It was one of the nicest letters I've ever received. And it started off by saying, Freddie, I'm writing to thank you. He says, I had never even thought about what I had been doing to my friends by taking them down and showing them this vast collection of bourbons and whiskey that I, that I had accumulated. He said, never thought about what I was doing to them because I would show it to them and then we'd just go on off. He said, I never even give them poor some of that stuff. And he said, what happened was my son came home from college with two of his buddies. And he says, and what you said, it just continued to resonate with me. He says, they were, they were bourbon geeks, and he wanted me to show them my collection. He said, I took them downstairs, showed them the collection. They were blown away, and he says, but I remembered what you said. And so he said, I reached out in my cabinet, and I got one of my old bottles out. And my son just looked at me. And he put in parentheses, mind you, not one of my very best. <laughs> but he said, I pulled the bottle out, he says, and I gave it to my son. And I told my son, would he mind opening it and pouring us all a drink? He said, my son just looked at me. He said he could not believe what I was doing. He says, we did the drink. And he says, the reason I'm writing you is, he says, after we were done, it was the first time since my son was a kid that he publicly hugged me. Hmm. He says, thank you. So that's why I tell people all the time, you know, um, we touch lives every day and we just pour from a special bottle. We can create a memory moment that will last a lifetime and it will certainly last a lot longer than the whiskey in the bottle because it has a lot more meaning. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> Pretty deep. I mean, I have a question, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say well, before the question, which is in the sharing moment, maybe this is the opportunity, Ben, to open the We need to open that barrel, other single barrel, I and think. share and try that. I Absolutely. Think this is the time and then. Well, yeah, why? Well, do you want to open it, Freddie, or we can. You want to open it? No, please. We'd love to have you yes. do it. Well, no, here, you open it. Well, the question I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned we've talked about some of the, the so called unicorn bottles and talked about your dad a lot. Am I correct and love to hear more about, was he involved in the antique collection and kind of the genesis of the antique collection? Is that? Oh man, how much time do we have? That's another <laughs> as, much, as, much, as much as you Let want. Let me tell you what happened. So this is kind of funny. So these old guys were sitting around talking about good bourbon. And they were talking about, uh, they were telling Mark Brown that said, you know, if we had a barrel-proof bourbon, that would be a really good bourbon. And they were like, oh, no, 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 that's really going to ever want to go lightning into the night. Oh, 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 oh. Well, there's plenty of bottom here. Well, well I'll, I'll take it in. You can take room. it to go. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> All right, so, uh, um, but 
they were like, got twenty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, they were like, no, you know, nobody really would want something that's that strong, you know, cast strength straight from the barrel. And they said, Rick, trust us. If you do this, it'll be a winner. And so they said, okay, well, let's give this thing a try. So we called them the Magnificent Seven, and it was. Uh, uh, Mark, Ronnie Edens, Leonard Riddle, uh, Dad, Elmer Cheeley, and there are a couple more guys there. Uh, I think I think Gary might have Gary Gehart was a master distiller after Harlan, before Harlan, and, uh, and and Harlan may have been there. But anyway, they walk into the room, and I think they had fourteen pours at each setting. My dad looked at Elmer and Dad, he said, Elmer, he said, this is one evening we're going to have to spit these suckers out. Because <laughs> they had so many, they, they tried to go through all of them and barrel proof, they were gone, they would be wasted. What they did, though, was fascinating. If you could have seen what they did, they just went through and they called them. They nosed them first. And the ones that the nose didn't even, it didn't even nose like they wanted, they set that one aside. They didn't bother with it. And then they kept calling them out and calling them out, and they would do this thing with the water and some other stuff. And it ended up, they all had one glass in front of them. Seven guys. And they all chose the same barrel. Mm -hmm. And that became George T. Stagg oh. Antique. Mm -hmm. Great it, story. It became one of the most award-winning bourbons it's most amazing. in the world. Yeah, it's the most incredible bourbon. And then the others followed after that with the Wimmer Rueller and the size 18 and all those, but it started with that George T. Stagg barrel. And maybe we can get your thoughts on this because I was looking at the Weller single barrel, unlike the Weller foolproof, even the, you know, the ones that are done as private selections, which are at 115, this is at 97. 114. Foolproof is 114. 114, sorry. Yes, sir. And so this would be. Thank you for correcting them, by the way. This is like my dream. Every, every <laughs> Joe, Joe well, knows a lot well, Especially on something technical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 97 yeah. proof, which is very interesting here, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'd be curious to see what you think on this. First off, I always love the nose on the water products because they're just fruity. Yeah. And it's it's like, um, you know how you can, you can, you can uh, what do they call it? Caramelize your fruits, mm -hmm. you kind of like, yeah. the, it, so you got that little sugary kind of a sweet coating that goes on them. Mm -hmm. And it's there, and so you get you get the sweetness, and then you get the fruitiness, and it kind of it just kind of dances. And something we'll talk about more of this when we have the, when we have the dinner. Ah, uh, because I've been watching it with the Glencairn glass. Watch this. This is so kooky. If you do one side of your nose and then do the other side, you'll notice you're smelling things on one side that you don't smell on the other side. And that's just us just sitting here very casually doing this without being a, like the formal thing that we're going to do. But you swirl it around and you do that, and you go like, well, I'd be dipped. I smell different things on different sides. And so what actually happens is the body actually is changing the dominant nostril roughly every two hours. It's a cyclical thing. And so that's why when it's in transition, you can actually smell things on one side, you can't smell on the other side. It's kind of crazy, and so, oh uh, yeah, and so then when you do full proofs, or when we start playing with things that you start getting above a hundred proof, and you start getting up into your cast strength barrel proofs, so you're going, you're now at 
110, 112, 115, 120, up to 145 proof. Somebody just bragged about one is 150 something proof. And I was like, <laughs> well, you can't do that with a Glencairn glass. There's so, so many alcohol volatiles coming up at your nose all at once, it blocks everything else out. So that's why Glencairn and the Nolan glass has, is called a tulip design. That's why they started to flare it out again. It's to disperse some of those volatiles so that they don't slam your palate. It don't slam your nose when you start to do this kind of stuff. It's just kooky. But anyway, that's me. So, now, salute. Salute. All right. So do you, have a, do you have a favorite toast that you use normally that uh, you guys do? I don't have a, I love yours, it's incredible. No, I don't have a favorite. I don't have a... Number one, Ben. No, mine are boring. I mean, it's just cheers. Yeah, or, yeah salute. Yeah, cheers. mine are pretty boring. Right. Not like you, Freddie, but you're the storyteller. That's right. No, <laughs> that's no, why, no, that's no, why no, you're no. in front of the camera. It now. does make me want to come up with. There, there, I'll tell you what, it is amazing. Tape. I mean, I would think that I would think that the canine group should have. Uh, you guys need yeah. to come up with something. Come up with a good, good one. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay. We're at about 38. I mean, so, and we got folks coming in. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good. All right, so look at something real quick in your glass. Look at how it's coated inside the glass. It's almost like a cognac or something in there. And it's making no. eggs. No. And that's where it's, it just tells you it's going to sit nicely on the palate. It's going to linger. All right, Freddie, we'll ask uh, one last question. I ask all of our guests this. If you could share a bourbon with anyone, living or someone who's passed, who would it be and what would you drink? Oh, wow. <clears throat> well, I would love to react to relive a moment with my dad. probably to apologize to him while I had a pull with him. Um, <clears throat> I think that, uh, yeah, it would probably be him um, because he would represent granddad and uh, some other things that happened in my life. But um, it's amazing the things that you think about when you're sitting around sipping just in a special moment and you realize all the things that the coulds <laughs> and the shoulds overwhelm you and you just wish that you, sh you, what you should have done was told them more about things that you were thinking that you never shared. <clears throat> so, yeah, you, I could have shown him respect, which I did, but what I should have done was share with him how special I really thought he was. But you don't realize how special people are until you're sitting around after they're gone and you realize they really made uh, an impact on your life. And uh, what would you dust off? What would be the, what would be your choice? Mm -hmm. What would you break out and open up? I don't tell very many people this. Um, there is a person um, you meet people along the way and you touch their lives and they in turn do things special for you. And um, there is a 
there is a person who, because of something that we did, that we had a moment, and it was about bourbon, it was at the Buffalo Trace Distillery, um, but it made such a difference to him in his life that um, he presented me with a bottle of Ancient Age from the four millionth barrel that um, my dad had rolled out that was signed by Elmer and Orville Shoup and a lot of the folks that were there at the time of the Buffalo Chase Distillery. Believe it or not, <clears throat> Ben, that is the only bottle that I have not opened. Um, and I promised my grandson that I will open it up when he turns 21. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have some, but that is the, to me, that is the ultimate bottle. And it's not even a pappy, it's not anything like that. But it's a bottle of ancient age, but it's from the four millionth. And will your grandson be the fourth generation at Buffalo Trace? Well, I've already started working on him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Osiris has. Uh, so, Dad passed away after the six millionth barrel, which I was with him on that one, and then the seventh millionth came along, and so we got Osiris out of school, which was fun with the teacher. Can I get my grandson out of school to roll some whiskey barrels? So, <laughs> anyway, so but anyway, Osiris helped me with the seven millionth barrel. And this past fall, we rolled out the eighth millionth barrel, and we got him back out of school, and he helped me roll the eighth millionth barrel. So um, I do him like my dad did me. I don't make him come down there, but sometimes he'll say, hey, Papa, can we go down and just kind of roll around some barrels and stuff like that? So he's a pretty smart kid. Um, they, uh, he's part of what they call the Einstein Group and, uh, for Fayette County, um, and they are academic achievers, so uh, he sits in this group of, uh, of select kids. He's been there for like, I guess, I guess the last four or five years now. So he's already, he's still in high school, but he's already taking college courses. So he's getting credits in college right now. Um, but again, I get him to think beyond the obvious. And uh, I get him to think about the technologies that are being used there. He's into, he's into a lot of internet protocol and stuff like that, software configurations. I uh, get him to look at structural engineering and all this kind of stuff. So he he goes, he doesn't say very much. He's really kind of a quiet guy, but he's kind of like a Harlem Weekly. His little head, his little, you know, his little wheels are spinning and he just looks around and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, so there's more than just, it's more than just whiskey in a bottle to make the whiskey in the bottle. And so he sees beyond the obvious. Freddie, we hope to have him on the podcast one day. Absolutely. Thank you so much Thank for. You. Um, Thank you. It's an absolute honor to have you on, and it's an absolute honor to have you here, you know, supporting the uh, Blue Line Canine Group and uh, all the great things they do. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank, Thank you, you so thanks, much. Fred. And um, my thanks is back at you. I mean, every time uh, I see a disaster and you see the canine units coming out, uh, I see uh, uh, folks that have basically done some pretty bad things in the community, and that canine finds them and brings them out. Um, those are folks that thought that they could get away. Those are folks that are they're beyond uh, having moral responsibility. <laughs> and uh, it's nice to know that uh, you take the time to do that, because I know that, that requires a different discipline. Yeah, it's a great it's a group. Cool great group of guys. Yeah, great group of guys. We appreciate them so much. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you. Thank you, Freddie. You know, we can't thank Freddie Johnson enough for coming on. Um, not just doing the podcast, but for his 
participated in, participation in the uh, West Virginia Thin Blue Line Canine Association event. Like I said, we announced Freddie was coming in. We sold out in a couple hours. I actually had to add tables and sold those out in just a few more hours. It was uh, it was by far the biggest event that the Canine Association ever had. You know, they use that money to buy bulletproof vests for their their uh, police canine dogs. Yep. Uh, so it was a it was a great event. Freddie is an entertainer. Freddie is, I mean, he's a legend. If you know anything about bourbon, you know Freddie, you know his story. You know, third generation Buffalo Trace employee. But just so personable. Just such a nice guy. You know, he was going up to everyone just talking. And, you know, I was trying to make sure that he was, that he had food. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're worried about, you know, he drove all this way for this event. He was there for hours and hours. And uh, I couldn't even pull him away from talking to people just to get him to eat. He started, I don't know if you saw at the end of the night, people were bringing over empty bottles of like the Eagle Rare that we had tasted and having them sign them and which yeah. was great. But he, he was, he's just an unbelievable sweetheart. I mean, yeah, he, he is. is incredible storyteller, like world-class storyteller and just such a kind, interesting man. Yeah. yeah. A wealth of knowledge. Oh the, my gosh. The one question we didn't get, I wanted to ask him, we didn't get to is, you know, why does he keep doing it? He clearly loves it, right? He had a whole very high-end career before bourbon, and he's 75 years old. Like, I seriously doubt he's doing this for the paycheck at this point, but he just is such an incredible, uh, you know, guy to be talking about Buffalo Trace. I think Ben, you know, nailed it with the, you know, final question of the well, podcast, I and I think I think that just, um, that said it all in terms of, you know, who he would... If he had, you could drink with anyone, who would that, you know, open a bottle of bourbon? What would it be and who yeah. would it be with? And I think that, that to me was really special. He almost cried. I almost cried. It was like, gosh, dang. It, it was, um, it was one of those interviews that, that that's going to be hard to top. I mean, we've had some great guests. I mean, yeah. Julian Van Winkle, David Coors, you know, our very first interview with David Coors, the Coors family. But, you know, if you look at these guys that have been in the industry, and our core is his, you know, the whiskey part is relatively new, but he's been around this, but they're also, they're just humble. They're nice. They're, uh, they're just good people. You would never expect, you know, and I'd met cores at your house once before Kyle. And, uh, we were around a campfire and I showed up late and introduced myself. I was always, oh, and he said, David, of I was like, Core, like the beer cores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here we are just sitting there drinking it's beer, like, you yeah. know, around a campfire, but that's me. And, and that's the way Freddie is too. I mean, he's just yeah. so, he's so humble. He's so nice. Um, he, he puts everyone else in the room first. He's a wealth of knowledge and information and, and just a great entertainer. I mean, he is, uh, uh, everybody there just loved him. Absolutely loved him. You know, what's interesting. So Freddie and Julian and all these guys, you know, Freddie Russell, all these guys who, and Jimmy Russell, who've been around, they were all in this before they're now celebrities, right? They're legit celebrities, especially in the world of bourbon, but they were all around before that. What's going to be interesting is like the next generation that kind of comes up being more celebrities. Are they, you know, does it maintain that humble nature to these folks when, if that's all you know the whole time, right. that's different than, hey, I remember when no one cared who we were and we were just trying to put out good product. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. But, uh, well, I mean, Coors, I mean, it's not like he, you know, he came from oh, yeah, a no, very that's, established that's right. and just a just a salt of the earth, great guy. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, how uh, Preston Van Winkle handles things and, you know, when he's... Uh, yeah, guys like that. When he's out there. But, you know, the folks that I know that know him talk about what a great guy is. I ran into somebody the other day. And we were talking about uh, the podcast and 
we actually cracked a 1973 Makers for a buddy's uh, 50th birthday the other night. And just so happens this other guy was born in 73 also. So we all sat there and drank this Makers and he was like, you know, my, my fraternity brother's a, he's a bourbon guy. I was like, oh really? What's his name? Preston, uh, Winkle, Preston Van Winkle. I was like, get out of here. That is not true. He's like, yeah, we live like a half a mile from one another. Yeah. A great guy. You know, he's, I was like, okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> uh, a bourbon guy. That's an yeah, he's a bourbon it, guy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Freddie, Freddie was, um, you know, in addition to helping us raise a lot of money for the blue line canine association, uh, people getting to meet him and do the autographs. But that's one of the questions that we asked was, you know, he, he came back to the distillery. He had a great career in New York and Atlanta and elsewhere and came back to the distillery to, to fulfill a promise that he made his father, you know, that he would actually work there and also to take care of his dad. And then I, you know, I asked him, what would your dad think now? I mean, your name is synonymous with Buffalo, not just Buffalo Trace, but bourbon. I mean, people that, I mean, they love the story. It was in a documentary neat and, and he said, just don't screw it up. Just don't I screw it that. up. You know, how about when he talking about them picking the first bottle of George C. Stagg? Yeah. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. It's and like it, they all picked the same barrel and you know, that was the first stag and here we are. It's like, yeah, that, that was an insane story. In fact, we're going to clip that and put it on, we'll put it on YouTube. We do have YouTube mm-hmm. also, by the way. Nice. Um, and Instagram, we'll put it out there on Facebook, make sure that people can watch. Cause when he tells the story, I mean, listen to it's one thing, but you want to see it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Just the, the passion, you know, that, that he brings and especially that last question about, you know, who would you have a drink with and what would you drink? Oh, and what would you drink? And that's just, that was, uh, just, you know, it, you weren't, you were expecting him maybe to his father or yeah. his grandfather, yeah. but you weren't expecting, you know, a particular bottle that was signed and it was, was nothing spectacular, right? Yeah, it is, yeah, and, and I won't even give it up. You'll have to listen to the, the podcast, but it was a very unspectacular bottle, um, in the, uh, but it had a meaning. In the, the, had in the high rise family and it had a huge meeting it was signed and had a meeting between him and his father and it was also you know i think that that that's one of his preferred recipes you know but but you know the, so when we ask that question i ask it for a, a, a very specific reason people can either go with you know to have that drink someone you've never met i mean you could pick anyone i want to sit down with uh, george washington yeah. have a bourbon you know <laughs> you could pick anybody anyway. or you go with someone that you know that that really means and so far, every time we've asked, it's somebody they know. Yeah. You know, it's a dad or a granddad or you know, someone uh, who's passed away. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And usually, it, it's somebody that's gone. Yeah, and it's how he answered it too. It's like it's the things that I would have said. Oh yeah. I should have said. I could have said to my father. Yeah. Over um, that precious bottle. Well, it also it whiskey. tied into his whole ethos about opening those bottles, yep. drinking those bottles. It was yep. great. Joe was getting so uncomfortable sitting next to me. Yes. No, <laughs> he kept twitching, looking at me, knowing how many unopened bottles he has in his house. He was feeling worse by it's, the minute. It well, and I, and I could tell because Freddie kept using my name first. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Joe. How does, how does yeah. he know? Drink? And I was like, oh, no. But no, now that's really kind of made me think long and hard about the... You know, there are two two types of people that you bring over. You have people that come over because a friend wants them to see what you what you have. And, you know, you're going through that with that friend. But, the you know, the story told about his son. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, the bottle of whiskey that he opened. Uh, it wasn't his son. It was, yeah, uh, it was someone who visited, you know, uh, who had a massive collection in whatever state he was in, Tennessee or wherever. But um, that actually kind of shook me up a little bit. And I started to think about, well, it is... Um, it's not just that it's time to open, you know, those 
bottles, it's time to share them. At, at, you know, so when those moments do present themselves in the future, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to hesitate anymore. Take advantage. There's I, too many of them, and they're yeah. so good, and there's no need to not share them. But then, and because what he's saying essentially is, you will create memories, memories you don't even realize you're creating, um, by simply opening and sharing that one special bottle. Kyle, I think we've got an end. We got it. We're, We're heading to Joe's. We're going to crack we, some great We don't bottles. have to tie me up anymore and go. <laughs> That's our whole master plan. Tie Joe I, up in the corner. Take the bottle. Thank you, Freddie. The last thing I'll say, it was sure. not on camera. The tasting he conducted was really impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's such a pro because, you know, that crowd had been there a while and no one had really had dinner. People had started enjoying cocktails. And, you know, it wasn't, you couldn't do an hour long tasting. But he's such a pro that he did it well. But you could tell he's like, okay, I'm going to move this along pretty rapid pace, like get the right. get the information out there. But just the way he had everyone do it and with the water, I was that I was like, well, this is really cool. Well, and then the science of oh, let's use both nostrils, right? Yeah. Left, right, left, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're just little things that you think you, you've seen it all, right? Yeah. You've tasted it all. And then you realize he's uh, he's a, a, a person of substance. And yep. he really yeah, is. It's not said. just like a storyteller or part of their fabric and their history. I mean, he's truly the real deal. He's the whole product. And the fact that he's actually identified a family member to take his place at some point. Yeah. You know, the nephew, as he put it. You know, the nephew that's already, you know, is maybe in grade school, but he has this bent towards science and computer technology and you know, yeah, inviting cool. him to run around in the, uh, like he used to do as a kid. So that's just a... I tell you, that's a story that's just going to keep going. And I don't know whether these new up-and-coming distilleries can really they have the same story. Not yet, anyways. I mean, this is really special. Buffalo Trace is uh, it's a it's now become like a truly like a trademark and historic, you know, place that that every American probably needs to just go visit once in their lifetime. Because there's there's stories to be told. And there's a history there that you will find nowhere in the world. Yeah. yeah. And if you're lucky, maybe Freddie will give you the tour. That's right. Um, you know, he's still doing the tours. I think he said he does three per day. Jesus, I didn't catch three that. per day. Right. Yeah. We were talking, it was off camera wow. and I asked him, how many do you do? And he said, yeah, as, as many as I can, about three a day, wow. which is pretty impressive. Yeah. And you know, when we did the interview, we had uh, four additional people in the room that just, you know, the police officers, they were friends that would just wanted to kind of tune in and kind of see what we do, how we do it. They came early before the actual fundraiser started and they were, de- they were just blown away. Yeah. So not by us, but by, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by him. We didn't have to talk a lot. We they just had to ask the right question. They were and, underwhelmed by us. And, yeah. and Ben, you know, uh, without realizing brought two really nice bottles to share, uh, and to, as we were kind of rolling through that, um, whole interview with him. And they, they were actually without even knowing it, perfect. Perfect selection. Yeah, they were. Well, you maybe, know, but, maybe you knew, but I mean, they I, I were did not. perfect. No, well, I wanted I wanted two single barrels. So we brought a E.H. Taylor single barrel and then a um, Weller single barrel. Now, what I should have brought was an Elmer T. Lee because his his store, but that would have been too easy, right? Yeah, you know he yeah. would have picked the Elmer T. Lee. Yeah. Um, but what did he do? He, you know, he, he rifles through and he goes, I'm going to do, you know, he had a choice to pick the two. And he said, I'm going to pick the, the, 
the right one, the one that I, yeah. the one that is the right choice, not not the choice that I would make. He's a weeded bourbon guy. So this let's was, go yeah. with the Colonel Taylor because yeah. this yeah. is the this is where it was all started and founded. Yeah. And, and and that's a great bottle. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I was blown away by the Weller Single Barrel. Yeah. yeah it, was really, uh, it had yeah. been a while yeah. since I had oh. it. I think I'd only had a couple pours before, yeah. maybe to you know, over at Hill House. Or and what did he say was his fa- absolute favorite? You know, bottle Weller twelve. Weller twelve. Weller twelve. And you happen to bring the single barrel, which is probably closer to like eight or nine years of mm-hmm. age, but it's a little higher proof and it's not at one fourteen like the full proof. But it was a sweet spot for oh, him. It's yeah. And he he really I think he really enjoyed it. We get both. that a lot on the Weller twelve. People in the industry seem to prefer and, and if you read Pappy Land, they talk about Julian Van Winkle walking around with Weller twelve in his flask. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. and even though he didn't say that in, in the, the interview that we did um, Weller 12 was, was one of his favorites as well. Yeah. It just reminds me to just stock up on that, even at some of the higher values, just, it's just a beautiful whiskey and I need to be drinking that a lot. Fun fact. We talked about Texas earlier for whatever reason, Weller is so available and Weller 12 in Texas Mm -hmm. is like no big deal. It's almost like any decent restaurant you go to has Weller 12 and it's, you know, 16 bucks. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. Right, exactly. Which sure. anywhere else in the world you're like... Joe's going to rent a U-Haul. Yeah, it's crazy. Weller, Weller is massive in Texas. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, and, it, but then if you take other um, Buffalo Trace product, it's weird the way they do it, right? Yeah. Like certain lines are abundant in certain states. Um, like Blanton's will show up more in one state than the other, et cetera. Yeah. But you're right, Weller 12 for whatever reason... Uh, there are a few targeted states that seem to get a lot. Mm-hmm. West Virginia is not one of them. <laughs> no. Well, we'll look for it next time I'm in Texas. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Freddie Johnson. Uh, make sure you give us a review on Apple and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, watch Kyle dance on TikTok. That's right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.